Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Two years ago, it wasn't even illegal. Today, it could land you two years in prison and a place on the sex offenders list. Two years ago, it meant little outside the shady corners of non-consensual porn sites. Today, we have hard data and a growing understanding of what it looks like and who is behind it. And this data is hard to believe. We've seen men commit it while on their honeymoons, teachers commit it while in the classroom, and entire technologies designed to help them get away with it. The crime? Upskirting. The people responsible for making it one? Gina Martin, a survivor campaigner and her allies within the Crown Prosecution Service. Today, we are halfway into the UN's 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. So to mark the occasion, our journalist, Matilda Mallinson, is heading into Westminster to speak to these agents of change. everyone and welcome to the Crown Prosecution Service. On my left I have Siobhan Blake who is the Crown Prosecution Service's lead for rape and serious sexual offences. And to my right I have Gina Martin who is activist extraordinaire and who's tireless campaigning to lock up perverts is the reason we're sitting here today. No one's ever described it that way, I love it. Thank you for having me. Would you, would you say that's a fair representation? Oh, that's great, yeah I'm into that. So until a few years ago upskirting was not a criminal offence in England and Wales. Gina, could you tell us what upskirting is? So upskirting is when someone operates video or photographs up your skirt or under your clothing of a part of your body that you would otherwise have covered. And at this time, Siobhan, was there any legal recourse for people who experienced that violation? There was some legal recourse. Um, There were two offences that, depending on the circumstances, could be used in those situations. The one is a a very old common law offence known as outrage in public decency. Um, And the other was uh, Section 67 of the Sexual Offences Act, um, which dealt with voyeurism, 
um, but focus very much on the, the act of uh, looking at someone rather than the act of taking an image. So there were obviously some shortcomings with this and that's something that you, Gina, experienced firsthand. What was the problem? So for me, my situation was that I was at a family festival and a group of guys took photos up my skirt. They were hitting on me and I said no. And Tanik kind of teach me a lesson. They took these photos up my skirt and then they shared them in the group around them. And I happened to see one of them looking at the photo um, and stole the phone and got into a bit of a scuffle with him. And then some people in the crowd helped me get away. And when I got away, I eventually got to the Met Police. And my perception of our interaction is that the Met Police weren't really sure in themselves of how they could help. For instance, the police officer, after they'd separated me and the guy and they looked at the photo, they said it shows more than you know we'd want it to show. It's not a nice image, um, but we had to look at it. We've asked him to delete it, so he deleted it. So obviously, instantly, I'm like, oh, my evidence is gone. <laughs> also, he said, if you'd chosen not to wear knickers, we might be able to do something because it would be a graphic image, but you, but you did, so we can't. Now, obviously, at the time, I was like, mind blown, hang on, what? Yeah, gosh, that language is quite accusatory. And very interesting, given the fact that all women are told about is to wear more clothes to cover their body to keep themselves safe, right? So then I had a police officer telling me, well, if I'd chosen not to wear underwear, maybe I'd be able to prosecute, but I could, I can't. The reality is, is that wasn't actually technically correct, but it just showed me that there was so much misunderstanding about what the police could possibly use to prosecute this. So that's why I then looked into it, because I thought, well, this can't be right. Maybe there's a gap here. And obviously there was. So now, as a result of the campaign that followed, we have a law. We have the Voyeurism Act, the upskirting bill, which was passed into law in April 2019. And Siobhan, could you tell us what that changes? Well, what that changes, it really focuses on this specific type of offending. Crucially, it looks at the intention behind the taking of the image. It refers to taking an image for sexual gratification, but also for terms of humiliation. There's a power dynamic at play, and humiliation is another element of that power dynamic. And this offence specifically focuses in on that sort of motivation. I'm really glad that you've pointed that out. The idea that people only do this for sexual gratification just isn't true. And I think that the fact that we have that broad range in the language is reflective of what happens when someone who's experienced the problem is part of the solution, right? Because in my case, it was humiliation too. Because this is a fairly new law in the field of sexual offences, I imagine that thinking about broad intention could be applied to other laws. Has it sort of changed the way we look at those crimes? I think we've developed a lot of sophistication in our thinking around sexual offending generally. It is quite unusual in that. So it shows the development of um, the law's approach to serious sexual offending, I think, very, very well. How effective has it been so far? Do we have any numbers in terms of how many people have been convicted for this new crime? One of the things that made my heart swell as someone who's so emotionally involved in this from you know every day um was that there's been almost one report a week to police of upskirting since the law came to force and when I was working on this campaign 2017-18 when it didn't exist the language didn't exist in law and it wasn't a specific sexual offense there was this constant pushback of like how much does this really happen you know, how much does it really happen? Because the numbers we have are kind of four offences here in this police constabulary, maybe one here. And my, our constant response to that was, well, 
if the language doesn't exist in law and it's not a specific sexual offence, it's very difficult to know how much it happens in terms of that data because you're fitting it under other things. So we didn't have the awareness of it. And I think that awareness has really allowed people to recognise when something is happening that isn't a joke or isn't a prank because we put it in that category for a long time and, and then come forward and report because they feel buoyed up by this kind of culture that we created in the last four years in Britain through this campaign, which was so successful. So to see people reporting it that much, for me, is a, is a huge win. Mm, it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it, that until you have the data, until you have the proof, we don't have the conversation. Yeah, until you have the conversation, where's the data coming from? I found myself in that position for such a long time <laughs> trying to figure out how to convince people of things. We had our anecdotal evidence. What I can say is that um, we've seen a doubling of the number of offences prosecuted um, from year one to year two of the act being brought in. This was at a time when we were all in the, the middle of lockdown. Yeah. And didn't and stop, it got worse, yeah. Precisely. Well, because I wasn't, I was going to say I don't even think it's fair to, to ask you how the stats have progressed since the act came in because of COVID, but you said that, that there is an increase. Absolutely. It shows that you can't escape this, this kind of violence. I think it also shows as well, these are really well sought out offences that people put a lot of energy and effort into committing. They are an indicator of a sexual offender and a sexual predator. I'd like to know more about that because I imagine now you have been able to collate a bit more information about the nature of this crime. People will go to huge lengths to hide cameras in a way to facilitate this offending. So uh, we're certainly aware of a case we prosecuted where somebody um, actually made holes in their shoes in order to insert a camera into the shoes. There are certain apps that you can obtain that you can put on your phone, which makes it very difficult to uh, collate the evidence. And where is this happening? The range of places it happens is also something I don't think people fully recognise. On an escalator, on the tube, happens at supermarkets, happens at bus stops, happens in schools, happens in, in homes. I've had women message me about their partners. They found photos their partners have been doing it to them happens everywhere. This is a, a, a need for pushing the boundaries of power. This is not about sex even. This is not about fancying someone. This is not about attractiveness. We have all these narratives about, you know, it being a bit of a joke or a compliment or, oh, well, I'm too old for someone to do that to me and all these terrible, you know, damaging narratives. This is about power. So it happens everywhere because people are everywhere. Is there an economy for this stuff? There's all these products being sold and all these technologies and apps and all these things to make it easier. When you don't solve the root of a problem, culturally, just find new tools to continue the problem. I've had 75-year-old women come up to me and say, oh, when I was in school, that this was happening, but they were just putting mirrors on their shoes. This isn't a new problem. That's concerning. Have we seen these charges affecting underaged people? It's um, not unusual for the uh, victim of these offences to be young people in school uniforms. The reality is um, victims come in all shapes and sizes of mm -hmm. these offences. So true. I remember this, the first story that I was told, actually, when I started this campaign, one of the first stories. She's a lot older now, but she was 12 at the time. And she was telling me about how her teacher had been upskirting her in school and the school had found out. And I was like, agog, you know, how can this happen? And it, she was terrified to go to school because obviously they'd had to look at the photo. So she was like, well, all the teachers have looked at an upskirt photo of me now because I had to check it was me. And Almost instantly after she messaged me, just so many girls of similar ages. And I found out that a school in South London, the teacher had been doing it to the kids for years and they found like 5,000 images of the oh kids, my. but they couldn't prosecute him. 
he lost his job, went back to his half million pound home outside London. So they couldn't prosecute this teacher who'd taken thousands well, no, of photos. Apparently not. It's my reaction when I found out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Who is committing these crimes is it a gateway crime to more serious offences? This is very much an indicator offence or a gateway offence. And it, it can quite often be the case the perpetrators are very serious sexual offenders. So really, you need, you need people who are affected by this crime to report it because you need to catch these people. Absolutely. We need the help of everyone. I would say we need the help of men and women because um, anyone can be a victim, but also anyone can be um, a witness. Please step forward because it's not all right. And you might actually be helping um, catch somebody who is really, really dangerous. And that is actually something we really do need to encourage. We know people will witness harassment in public spaces and do nothing. We haven't had it drilled into us enough that we should intervene. We shouldn't just be sitting politely on the sidelines. We, we talk all the time about what the person who is having um, an offence brought to them should do. So what should the girl who's been upskirted be doing? What should the person who's been sexually assaulted be doing in that very moment? That is a lot to expect for someone who's going through an incredibly stressful situation and is only thinking about their safety and having gone through not only being upskirted but other experiences. I, I can tell everyone that my brain doesn't work right when I'm stressed and I'm terrified like that. It's, it's an obligation for all of us to be looking out for each other's safety. And I, and I know that sounds trite and it sounds cliche, but it is. That's, the, that's what we do in a community, right? I've worked a lot with people in terms of bystander interventional action. I think often we can see that as like, scoring points and being a hero it's not about that there's a there's really easy subtle ways to help so if you know what to look for with upskirting if you know like one of the big things when I was doing it was selfie sticks lots of people were using selfie sticks low arms on the tube guys often sitting low down while someone's standing up and very close by them a lot of the times these won't be a problem these things aren't going to lead to upskirting but just being able to be aware of the patterns and trends when you're out and then if you see something happening my, my advice is to take a picture of the person doing it I've, ha I've had people do this and message me and say I took a photo I saw this man upskirting the girl in the park and I took a photo of him 
And I've gone over to her very, very quietly and very subtly and have a conversation with them, engage them in the conversation. I think often we think we have to engage the perpetrator and we have to be macho and a big man and we have to go and save this woman who's in the situation. But often you can do a lot by engaging the person who's, being, who's dealing with the offence. There's so much weight on our shoulders as survivors and victims of these things. And when it happened to me, you know, I stole the phone, I got the photo, I was being manhandled by the guy. I was trying to tell people around me, I was looking into their eyes, saying what happened, just repeating it like a robot so they would listen to me. And then I got to the police and they couldn't do anything. And I remember that feeling of, I've done everything you've asked of me. We talk about it all the time. And I've done everything. I did it. Why didn't she report quick? I did it straight away. Got the evidence, got the phone, got the guy and nothing happened. And that, that was such a painful experience. I don't want anyone else to feel like that. So if there's more people working together to figure this out, always the better. And this affects majority women and girls. But there's also a real problem in the LGBTQI plus community. I had, so, I had a, a, a really big proportion of trans people come to me because people are morbidly obsessed with trans people's bodies and are desperate to see what's under their clothes. So this is, this is our obligation, I think, as citizens to each other to be looking out for this and doing better for each other. Absolutely. I mean, I just fell on that sword. I asked, you know, is this up to people affected to be doing more? For some reason, we, we asked that question first. Yeah, it's that cultural. Is, that is where we go. And it's a collective responsibility we all have to each other. Yes. That is really helpful, you taking us through things to look out for and things to do if you spot it. Off the top of your head, are there any more things that we should be looking out for? The one thing I would um, stress is sometimes it's not at the time that you find the evidence that yeah. means that you can prosecute these cases. We have had a number of cases where people have handed their phones in um, to um, uh, somebody to, to mend them. And it's actually been the individual who's um, had access to the phone and seen images. So it's not just about catching people in the moment. If we've got the evidence of the images, then quite often we can um, prove the offences through sort of almost working backwards from the in images right back to the offence. So it's just to think really broadly about it. And if you see something that's strange or is very distressing to you on a, on a phone or any other device, then think about whether it should be there or in fact the person has committed an offence by having those photographs. And how successfully are we prosecuting at the moment? What's the conviction rate looking like? I haven't got any specific statistics around the conviction rate, but what I can say is a lot of these offences, because of the nature of the offending, we've got a very high guilty plea rate on them because the evidence is almost overwhelming. Gina, I'm interested in how your relationship with the Crown Prosecution Service originally came about because you were someone who had reported something that had happened to you and seen no results. But instead of turning away, you, you turned in. Did you have any reservations at first about working with the establishment on this? I did originally. I think when you... And it wasn't just the CPS, it wasn't just the police, it wasn't just the, the big institutions that I felt let down by. I felt let down by every institution. Because even when I went, okay, well, the law can't help me, I don't think, here, and the police can't help me, I don't think, here, I'll go to social media because I was working marketing at the time. So I went to social media and I actually uploaded a picture because me and my sister had taken a selfie minutes before this guy had upskirted me and he was in the back of the picture oh. and I found it you know, days later. And I uploaded that picture to Facebook and I said, does anyone know who this man is? And then Facebook contacted me and said that the photo was harassment and deleted all my posts. Uh, the allegation of posting someone's face and saying they did this thing was 
was more was that almost worse than the fact that he did this thing in the first place. That was recognized more heavily by powerful people than this was. So there was a great sense of disappointment. And, and I think a lot of survivors and victims are let down by the police. I, I think, well, I know that. I, I, I am in that world. I live in that world. And so many of us don't feel like um, it's taken seriously. So my job was then to turn around and go, okay, so how do I, how do I turn something so negative into something positive and help? You know, I'm really glad that I'm able to do my part and be like, be able to go out to the world and say to people, please take this really seriously now. They do. I've seen them. And they know what this is and they're, they're trained in this now and they're, they're listening when this happens. And I think that's a really positive outcome for someone who at the beginning felt very, very let down in the situation. So given that, given the progress we have seen, and I'm asking this question because the spotlight is on how people often don't see justice for sexual offences against them. What would you say to people affected? I would say this is the highest priority for the Crown Prosecution Service. We are doing a huge amount of work to listen to victim survivors. Gina's experience really shows the value of that listening. We are training our prosecutors to make sure that they really understand myths and stereotypes and uh, they understand the impact of trauma. And we will not stop until we narrow that justice gap. I would ask people, keep on coming forward, keep on making your voice heard um, because it does make a difference. Gina, is there anything you'd like to add? I think we have a, a long way to go for survivors to trust our institutions. I think that's just where we are. But I don't think that's a reason for us to stop with this work. And there's a role for all of us in this. Culturally, we have to have a real cultural conversation about gender in, in our society. We have to have a real cult cultural conversation about violence and about consent and about power. And I don't think anything changes on a fundamental level until we're all doing that work. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to use the systems that we have in place now to report, to speak up, to use their voices if they feel strong enough to do so, to talk about what's happened to them with people who love them and to allow our institutions to paint a better picture and understanding of these offences. But I would also encourage every single person listening to go out and do the work individually on understanding gender and understanding the culture that we have created and how we've got here because I think really internalizing that is how we prevent instead of react. Well thank you so much both for speaking to me. I think this story is so important, just as important as it is to hold authorities to account for where they are failing. We also need to see where change and how change is happening because we all have a role to play. So thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. you. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content and turn on Don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now.